his death and resurrection a week later, and, and uh, there's a lot to the story. And, and over the years, I'm sure as Christians, we've heard the story. Uh, we've heard probably a lot of messages on Palm Sunday, haven't we, over the years? Uh, we've heard different uh, points of view, different, uh, different stories about the triumphant entry. Uh, all of them are great stories, great illustrations, great messages on it. There's things like we could talk about the, the bold declaration that Jesus made when he went in because a king rides on a, on a stallion and he rode in on a, on a donkey and, and there's a declaration that he's the Messiah coming from Old Testament uh, prophecy. So we could talk about those things. We could talk about the uh, demeanor and how Jesus um, came in. I mean, he just came in with this simple little mule, and, and people think that the king was going to ride in and, and be a conquering king. They thought the Messiah was going to be a, a conquering Messiah, uh, but he comes in this, this humble donkey. So we can look at his demeanor. We can look at uh, deep evidence of his love for people. Uh, when the, you know, they, as he was writing in the poems, people were laying down palm branches, and, and, uh, and he was writing in, and, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and these people were crying out, Hosanna, blessed be the Lord. They're, they're loving Jesus. And then a week later, they're yelling out, crucify him. And, and a week later, those same people are hollering out, crucify him. And, and Jesus tears up because of his love for them. And they don't know what they're doing and the foolishness that they were acting. So there, there's all kinds of great stories that we could tell about Palm Sunday. But I want to do something a little different. We're going we're gonna to look at it a little different angle here. We're going to go back six days prior to Palm Sunday. We're going to go back and we're going to look at some, an event about, uh, that happened a week before, and it's about uh, worship. Uh, there's this event that happens that we'll talk about today that's going to talk about a genuine, deep, authentic worship and what that means. When we think about worship, we think about all kinds of different mental images. Before we get to the slides, I want you to think for a second. If I say the word worship or praise of worship, what comes to mind? Just think about it for a minute. Okay? Now go to the first slide. Maybe this is what you think of. When you think of worship, you think of uh, Covington Baptist Church maybe 40 years ago or, and, and just filled with a huge choir doing the traditional hymns uh, of, of things like, like uh, a mighty fortress of our God or how great thou art. And when you think of worship, that's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, a brick building with a tradition, the, the wood pews that we have. And that might be the first thing that comes to mind. That's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, then maybe when I say worship, you think of this next slide. Maybe you think of that. Maybe you think of, of a contemporary worship, or maybe, maybe you think of Pentecostals or, or Charismatics, where they're just they're throwing their hands up and they're stomping their feet, they're shouting out hallelujahs and amens, and they're just on fire. Maybe that's, when I talk about worship, maybe that's what comes to mind. I know that's what comes to my mind, because I, when I got saved, I was saved in a Pentecostal church. And so I, I still have those imagery in there. Or maybe you, have, maybe you think of worship as the next slide. Maybe you think of worship as just getting down on the knees alone, just pouring your heart out to God, worshiping him, loving him, praising him, and you just, you're just overwhelmed with it. Or maybe... Maybe you want to, maybe you're, you're out in nature, some of you hunters and fishermen, maybe you can relate to this one where you're out in, the, out in nature and you see this general revelation called nature, what God created, and you just, you get this sense of awe and inspiredness, and, and you just love being out there, and you just, you just praise God, and you're alone, and you're just saying, look at this, 
And I'm not talking about praising God for that big buck that just walked by. I'm talking just you and God sitting there just, wow, look at you. See, we all have different views of how worship is going to be based on our experiences and our lives and, and where we got saved at, what our traditions are. Um, the, some of you have been in this church for a lot of years, so you have this, this idea of, of the, the way it used to be. And some people come in from other backgrounds, and, and, and they have different views. And, and we all have this, though. It's a very personal thing. Everybody's a little different in this. We all worship in a little different ways. William Temple says, uh, has a great explanation of biblical worship. He says this, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness. It is the nourishment of our minds with his truth. It is the purifying of our imagination by his beauty. It is the opening of the heart to his love. It is the surrender of our will to his purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration. All of that gathered together in just adoring God. Great statement. John MacArthur said something similar, uh, but he also says this. In, in The Ultimate Priority, a book he wrote, he says, the crucial factor in worship in the church is not the form of worship, but the state of our hearts of the saints. If our corporate worship isn't the expression of our individual worshiping lives, it is unacceptable. If you think you can live any way you want and then go to church on Sunday morning and turn on worship with the saints, you're wrong. See, it's a very personal thing, worship. And it's something that incorporates our whole lives. It's not a Monday through Friday thing. It's not a Sunday only thing. It's, a, it's our whole life. So what is your view of worship? When, when I ask you to think about it for a minute, I want you to think about what, what was the answer that you came up with? What was it that, what is your worship? Is worship what happens on Sunday morning for you? Is this, is this where it is? Do you identify with an emotional experience? Or maybe you identify with spiritual thoughts during that time? Or, or maybe certain rituals. Maybe there's certain habits or certain behaviors that you've got to do and that, that gets you, you feel like you're worshiping during those times. What is your view See, the fact is that true worship is not defined by a place, a feeling, or a ritual. God set the standard for worship in his word, and the standard is much higher, but so much more rewarding than we could ever imagine if we do it the way he suggests. I want to take a look at an act of worship in the life of Lazarus' sister Mary. So before we get into chapter 12 of John, which we're going to look at, we've got to look at chapter 11 and kind of see what's going on up to that point. In chapter 11, we find one of the amazing miracles that occurred during Jesus' time. Word had got around that, that Jesus' beloved friend Lazarus died, and, <clears throat> or he was sick. So then they called for Jesus. Now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were dear friends of Jesus. We've looked at other verses, and, and he expresses that Jesus just loved them deeply. So this wasn't just like a, a, a distant friend. This was somebody that they really, Jesus really cared for, and they really loved Jesus. And so they go to the Savior, and they say, hey, he's sick. Lazarus is sick. Come, heal him. Come, do something. Well, Jesus had a plan. He had a purpose. He knew what he was doing. So he said, I'll be there soon. And so a few days later, Lazarus dies, and he gets put in a, in a tomb. Think about that devastation that they would have had. I mean, they knew Jesus. They knew he, he was a, a friend of theirs. 
You know, we, he, he knows them intimately. They're dear, close friends, and he didn't show up when they needed him most. They, he didn't show up when their brother died. Think about the devastation that Mary and Martha probably went through. Do you know the Jewish culture, they would do what they call wailing, and they would, when their funerals would happen, they'd have ladies that would be screaming out, wailing, and, and they would be crying out in loud cries. So I'm sure they went through those, those, those wailing, just sad and brokenhearted. And maybe, maybe they're a little bit upset with Jesus here because, you know, hey, I'm buddies with the Savior and he didn't heal my brother here. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say that. But just think about for a minute. Imagine for a minute the, the type of emotional distress that they went through. These ladies were completely devastated and their hearts were filled with sorrow because they lost Lazarus. Jesus said, shows up. A little bit later, he says, take me to the tomb. Take me over there. And once Jesus arrived, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus spoke the words, Lazarus, come forth. Come on out of there. And there he comes, healed, resurrected, completely alive. He came out of the tomb. There's no way for us to fully grasp the joy that they experienced. There's no way we can fully do it. We've all lost loved ones, and we're, we get brokenhearted when we have a loved one. But we've, I don't know of anyone here that has had their brother or their spouse or friend resurrect from the dead. I don't know about you, but I've never had that or seen that happen. So here, we can only imagine the joy that they had. They thought he was dead, and they put him in the tomb, and he was dead, and now he's resurrected. He's alive. I think about the joy that they had, and they're looking at Jesus praising him, thinking how wonderful he is. I guarantee that Martha, Mary, Lazarus, anyone else that witnessed that event never forgot what happened. I guarantee that miracle that they witnessed firsthand, they never forgot it. So now we arrive at chapter 12. Now it's a little bit later. And, they, and we find this beautiful picture of worship shortly after that. So let's take a look at chapter 12. We're going to read through uh, verses 1 through 8. And then we'll dig in. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of, was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the, his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given, and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he would use it to help, use to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not, you do not always have me. Let's pray. Father God, as we open up your word and we study this, this beautiful example of Mary's worship to you, open our hearts and our minds to your word, and we just ask you to teach us how to worship like Mary. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the actions of Mary painted a beautiful picture of the kind of worship that we should offer the Savior on a daily basis, on a regular basis. This is, the, this is something where 
We, we should look at this example and say, you know what? That's what we got to be. That's where our heart should be at. Let's take a little while and walk through these verses and consider worship at the feet of Jesus. I'd like to begin with looking at the place of worship. Now, in the first couple verses, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. So we know he was in Bethany. He was with Lazarus. He was with Mary. His disciples were with him. And we learn over in Mark chapter 14 that this event happened in Simon the leper's house. So we know where it was. It was just a regular house. He had his disciples around. He had Mary and, and uh, uh, his uh, Lazarus, uh, Judas Iscariot, the rest of the Lord's disciples. All these people were gathered up in this house, and now they're having a meal. Though there were several followers present, each one had different things on their mind. Just imagine for the scene for a minute. You have Martha, who once again is busy working. She's running around serving the Lord. She's, she's out there cooking, cleaning. Um, if his iced tea, his sweet tea is getting half filled, she's filling it up. She's taking care of them. Then you have Simon and Lazarus who are enjoying fellowship. We see that Lazarus was joining and reclining at the table. So they're relaxing, hanging out with Jesus, uh, just talking, sharing stories. I wonder what the stories would be like. Hey, you know what? Yeah, I just died. And let me tell you what I saw. Uh, who knows? I mean, they're sharing stories, swapping stories, and just relaxing together. The disciples were listening to the Lord. They're probably around there just listening and absorbing the, uh, everything that he's saying. And there's Mary. And she's sitting there offering worship to the Lord. See, the scene here illustrates a very important fact about worship. You can be gathered around other people. You can be gathered around other believers. You can even be around Jesus and still miss out on worship. Worship in the Savior is a personal action. But in the moment of worship, we can see something important about the proper place of worship. See, Mary was not in a temple. He wasn't in a church. She wasn't in some sanctified area. She was in a house. The key was not the place or where she lives or where she was worshiping at, but rather the fact that she was worshiping in the presence of Jesus. The proper place of worship is wherever Jesus is. This means that our worship is not limited to a certain time or location. Our worship isn't limited to facing down or facing up or having our hands up or having our hands down. It's not limited to any of those things. Worship, we don't have to take a yearly trip like the Jews will go to a, a yearly trip to Jerusalem during those times and, and to worship at a certain time of year for these gatherings. We don't have to do that. We can worship anywhere we want. We don't have to wait until 10.55 a.m. on Sunday mornings to worship. We can worship anytime, anywhere, anyplace. That's a wonderful blessing. This also illustrates a problem in the lives of many believers. Some fail to, worship Monday, uh, fail to worship the Lord Monday through Saturday, and they only come on Sunday, and they only worship on Sunday. The only time they think about God is on Sunday. Some of them even fail to assemble on Sunday. They're believers, and they don't even come to church at all. And they, tell, and they use reasoning as, I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to be at church to worship God, which is very true. But then they don't gather with other believers. And they miss out on the blessings of learning and growing and being with other Christians. See, true worship should occur in the life of the believer each and every day of our lives. So if we're going to worship, we need to worship in the presence of Jesus. And as we move further, we see that we need to worship about the purpose of worship. We need to look at the purpose of worship. Here there are countless reasons for us to worship Jesus himself. 
Look at who he is. Just take a minute and think of some of the names we consider him. King, Prince of Princes. Or, uh, come on, help me out here. Prince of Peace. I was, for some reason, I was thinking Prince of Thieves, like Robin Hood. I couldn't get that stuck out of my head. What, what's another? Throw some more out. The Great I Am. King of Kings. Yahweh. The Deliverer. Who else? Comforter. I got two at once, so. The Light. Messiah. See, look at all these great names that we can throw out about Jesus and who He is. That alone gives us He's worthy of our praise and our worship. Nobody else in the universe has that kind of worthiness. Just for who he is. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. Savior. Uh, Jehovah. I mean, he's God in the flesh. Jesus exhibits the glory of the Father. He is the word of God. It's the sustainer of all things. We preach, I preached on that back in Colossians. He oversees everything. And just because of who he is, He's worthy of our praises. He is our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and He is worthy of worship because of who He is. But not only because of who He is, but He also is worthy of worship because of what He's done for us. We're forgiven of all our sins. We're forgiven of everything, past, present, and future. He rescued us for eternal separation from God. He rescued us from hell and gave us a beautiful mansion to live in. He's adopted us, and now we're child, a child of God. I'm not just some, some stranger. I'm a child of God. I'm part of his family because he chose me, and he chose you to be part of his, his family, and you are a child of God. We get to have a personal relationship with him. There's theories that some, some believe that God created the universe and stepped away and let the universe run itself, and, and God is just at a distant far. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that He's a personal God. He loves us and He's in our lives. We are joint heirs in Christ. He, he gave us a promise of eternal life. And He's given us that eternal life to spend with Him. And He gave us that home in heaven. I mean, think about who He is, but also what He's done. And that also warrants worship. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that Jesus is worthy of worship because of also what He's done. Now, I don't want to imply that the only reason that Mary is worshiping Jesus is the fact that he raised her brother from the dead. That's not why she's doing this. But I do believe that this is one of the things that probably contributed to her love for him because she sat there and witnessed it and witnessed how much he loves Lazarus and how much he loved her. We see that she cried out in agony over her lost brother, and Jesus shows up, performs a miracle. Now Lazarus is sitting right there next to her. And she's seeing Jesus and Lazarus, and she's at the foot of Jesus, looking up at him. And she's loving him. See, authentic worship reveals a heart of gratitude. I want to say that again. Authentic worship reveals the heart of gratitude. See, are you really thankful for what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done for you? If you're really thankful and you have that gratitude, then we, it would be nothing to bow down and get on our knees before him and just praise him for who he is. Pride doesn't matter. Or, or you know, what other people think, it doesn't matter because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have that gr heart of gratitude and we won't have to worry about those things. Somebody calls me a Bible thumper, I say thank you because I love Jesus and I have no shame about saying that. 
There's another important factor is that it's seen in Mary's worship is our posture of our worship. In verse 3, Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. So you know where that's, that task alone is, is reserved for a slave. Reserved for a slave, and yet she's on her knees washing his feet with her hair. What was her posture during that time? I mean, she's just fully engulfed in this act of worship. She humbly bowed before him. And in this act of, of worship, she washed his feet, and she wasn't concerned about pride. She wasn't concerned about what the other group, what the disciples were thinking. That she wasn't concerned about Martha. She wasn't concerned about Lazarus. She wasn't concerned about anybody. She just wanted to worship Jesus. She was a humble servant of Christ who was focused only on offering what he was worthy of. See, many believers miss out on true worship. They miss out so much. Because they're so worried about what people think. They're so worried about uh, an altar call, being embarrassed to come up before you. They don't come up because they go, yeah, what are people going to think? What, 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 what kind of gossip is going to go around? What if I've been in this church for 20 years and I've never accepted Christ, but I'm afraid to come up to the altar because I'm afraid people will judge me for it because when they find out that I haven't been saved this whole time. You think that doesn't happen? It happens all the time. People are afraid to come up for the altar. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I was nervous. But you know what? Serving Christ was so much more important to me. I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to go up. And I went up. I was a little shy back then. Not, not so much anymore. But you know, it didn't matter. Pride was not an issue. I loved the Lord Jesus and I just wanted to go. And so many times we allow pride or, or worry about what people think or what people will say to keep us from genuinely worshiping Jesus. Maybe Simon the leper thought back on the day that Jesus made him whole. It is very possible that a good old worship service may have happened during that event. Think about what was going on. Here's Mary on the ground worshiping Jesus, and they're all excited about Lazarus, and, and this fragrant aroma is going through the room. It doesn't say in Scripture, but I would not be surprised if it busted out in a worship. They probably started singing hymns and just started praising. Who knows? I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room to find out what happened. Mary's worship was passionate, and, she, and her deep desire was to just offer herself to Jesus. And we need to take that example and say, you know what, I need to offer it to Jesus without fear. I'd like to take a moment and clarify a couple things, though. Because we have, in our, in our Christian, ter Christian terminology, we have this thing called praise and worship. We talk about music. Oh, I love praise and worship. If I say I love praise and worship, what's the first thing you think? Probably contemporary music, right? It's probably the first thing. But there is actually, in Scripture, there is a difference between praise and worship. And it's important for you to know the difference. For example, praise... In the Hebrew is uh, um, yada, and it means to confess or to give thanks. To confess or give thanks. That's what praise is. It's just to say, get on your knees and say, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for saving me. Thank you. It's just confessing and just bringing the glory to him. In the Greek, it means to celebrate. There's two words uh, for it. Uh, one of them means to celebrate, and then the other one is called doxa, and we're probably familiar with that because we use the word doxology. And what is a doxology? A doxology is to give glory and honor. So to praise is to give glory and honor and to celebrate who he is. 
We see this in Psalm 9, chapter, uh, verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Praises. And so give that glory. Celebrate who he is. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, let, uh, or, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Continuing. Just make our lives filled with praise and glory to God. When we, when we go through our day, we should be offering praise every opportunity we can. Now I know we have jobs to do. Our minds are focused on other things. But when you get an opportunity and you think about a blessing or something that's happened, you go, you know what? Thank you, Lord. And praise Him for what He's done. According to the Scripture, praise consists of songs, words, and music. It is lifting up the name of Jesus as celebrating Him for who He is and what He's done. It's an act of gratitude and thanksgiving, and praise is essential to worship, but it's not the same as worship. It is different. Now, worship in the Hebrew means to depress, uh, to prostrate, to bow down, to crouch and fall down, to humbly beseech, to do reverence. I know you guys know what reverence means. So the, in the Hebrew, worship is to give reverence to God, identifying his characteristics. In the Greek, it means to minister to God. That is, render religious honor. So praise and worship are clearly different. So we see that a lot of times in the Greek, the word is actually translated in the English to serve. Like, for example, in Romans 1, verse 9, it says, For God is my witness, who I serve with my spirit. And that word is actually worship. It's the same word being used. So it's basically saying, in my act of worship, in my act of service, I am worshiping God because of who he is. We're worshiping God the gospel of his son. Clearly there's a difference between worship and praise. Praise is a part of worship, but worship goes far beyond praise. Worship can and should be in our daily lives. When we serve others, it's a form of worship. When we show compassion to other people, that is an act of worship. I had a hard time in seminary, and actually I was in college with this, because I was taking a spiritual growth class called Spiritual Formation, and I really felt guilty, and probably you probably felt this too, You've, I felt guilty when I didn't read my Bible when I went and played with my kids. And I had to do this, this like journal through the class of my spiritual growth. And I remember writing it, and I emailed it to the instructor, and he emailed me back. He's like, don't feel guilty for that. That's an act of service. You're, you're raising your kids. You're spending time with your kids. You're encouraging your kids. You're showing them love. You're showing them what Christian living is like in Christian love. That is an act of worship. I had a hard time grasping that because I, I felt like I had to earn this. You know, I had to, I had to do some work. You know, I wasn't worthy of it. And, I, and he explained to me, that no, 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 you miss, you're missing the whole point. Worship, when we act in Christ's love, when we act in compassion and love and generosity and, and giving and we, and we serve the Lord, those are all acts of worship. When we get up on Sunday morning and we teach a Sunday school, that's an act of worship. When you serve as ushers, and you serve on committees. Those are all acts of worship. Our entire lives should be an act of worship. I believe that it could be said of Mary and her entire life was an act of worship. Every time you see Mary in verses in Scripture, we see her at the feet of Jesus. She's always praising and worshiping him. She grasps the proper posture for worship, and she worshiped Jesus passionately. 
Are, are you willing to come to that same place she is? Are you willing to bow down at the feet of Jesus, serve him at whatever capacity is necessary, and forget about what others think? When you get to that point, you're ready for a genuine, authentic worship. When you get to that point where Jesus is what matters, nothing else, you're going to have an amazing worship experience. Think about what we've seen already, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When you truly comprehend these things, when you will be able to be consumed with gratitude, that you will forget your pride and you will not be concerned about others. And you will do what was, what's best for his honor and glory, not your own. Is your life one lived in a life of, uh, at the feet of Jesus? We're going to sing a song in just a minute. I believe we have some special music coming, right, Jan? Um, what, I, what we're going to do is something a little different. I'm not going to do a traditional altar call. I'm not going to say, you know, come accept Jesus. That's between you and God. And you've heard me say it enough times. But what I want to do is I want to ask you, to join me at bowing down at the feet of Jesus. I want to invite you to come up to the altar. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about it. Come join me at the altar. Give your life to Christ. Be like Mary and just give it all. Forget about pride. Forget about everything in between. Please rise. <laughs>